Good morning and good evening, everyone, and welcome to this latest iteration of the Indic Book Club uh, Open House with Otis. We've been doing this for uh, more than six, seven months now, and you know the drill by now, which is uh, if you are interested in improving your writing and getting feedback from uh, an accomplished, uh, acknowledged uh, uh, writer, then we suggest that you make use of this opportunity and send in your writing piece about 800 words in length uh, or so. Double space, Times New Roman, font size 12, send it as a PDF and uh, there's an email address given on the indicacademy.org website as to where to send this piece. Otis will review it, he will mark up his feedback, he will send it back to you and then when we convene and meet on Sundays, he will pick those pieces and give his feedback uh, and probably make you read some of the passages and talk about uh, you know the do's the don'ts the the you know the good habits the best practices of writing uh, things such as point of view and uh, and and a lot of actually very very useful things that uh, you may have to read several books and watch several videos to try and figure out and you get all of that from otis uh, in in a very compressed form and manner so with that, Otis, I will turn this over to you while I switch on the Facebook feed. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Um, so we have uh, we we just have two two pieces this week, um, but they're both great pieces, and it'll be great pieces to talk about. Um, Ashvani's piece and Jay's piece. Um, I think that that I so. I was discussing with some other people that, you know, we get a lot of emails. So if I've somehow missed something, um, you know, and it's fallen into the list of however many emails, most of them junk that I get, um, and I and I missed your piece, please uh, let me know and, and resend it. And I'm happy to do it for next week. But I think I only have two this week. Um, and uh, let's start with uh, Ashvani's piece. Um, Thanks for sending it in, Ashvani. I know I, I count on you and, you know, twist your arm to to get things in. So, so we have something to talk about. I can't. Uh, you have to unmute. I was saying I'm very happy to do it and to receive your comments. Very grateful for that. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Abhinav, I think you have to enable my sharing. So I'll share the screen. Oh, uh, give me one sec. Let me figure out what I did wrong or what I have to do. You, you did nothing uh, wrong. You, you did things right, but in a different way. Like that. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. I can't uh, share screen. Uh, no, I don't want to share screen. I want to get people to share screen. Who can all? Okay, there uh you go you should be able to share your screen now okay okay um ashvani um maybe uh you could tell us a little bit about this piece and what you were going for with it okay uh, recently Inet blighton was in the news because you know there was some uh, a lot of news reports saying that uh, in the past she had been classified as sexist and uh, many other adjectives were used for her. Uh, but at the same time, there were other reports. Uh, I mean, in the same reports, people went gaga over her writing. And I sort of uh, 
felt that you know i was personally invested in all those reports because as a kid i literally grew up on enid blyton i read every book of enid blyton in our library um, i don't know how many number of times so i i thought that you know maybe this would be a, a nice thing to write about but of course there was a constraint of writing only 750 to 800 words which i still exceeded but had it been 3000 words it would have been a different kettle of fish <laughs> if it had been 3000 words it would have been well 3000 words <laughs> I, I, can I, I can i ask you one uh, yeah this, a couple of places i have not been able to make out what you've said in this uh, you know the the paragraph which starts with a big fat nine on the page which is showing um no the first wait, page the first page okay go ahead then what yeah the first page which you are displaying the margin uh, the remark in the margin i'm not is it i like what you are going for right exactly i like what you're going for so okay. Okay. oh yeah i see what you're saying a, a, a big okay. fat nine and the other blue. other thing which i couldn't make out was a little uh, you know down the page uh, your remark starting with wish you could teach us right we this one so wish. yeah we'll talk we we might as well start we we'll start with this ashwani um, okay but um, let, let for for everyone else. Let's let's have you just read. Can you read a little bit? Maybe. Uh, <coughs> yeah, I'd love. To. Re, re, uh, I'm gonna let's see. I'm gonna mark. I'm just gonna make this little mark here. Just read to this sec to that green section. No, she's a bit grown up for that. So just okay. the beginning to there. Okay. The doorbell rang a second time, even as Aruna grappled with her slumber. Getting out of bed on a cold, clammy. Delhi winter morning was not exactly pleasant. The fact that dawn was still battling with the fog outside made it more difficult. Who could it be at this hour? As a single parent, her fears included one of unwanted visitors. A precautious glance through the peephole assuaged her qualms. It was her father. His white, bushy, walrus mustache embellished with beads of moisture. and his mouth emitting tiny short lived clouds of vapor into the cold air aruna hastened to open the door and saw he was carrying a large gift wrapped package a big fat nine pasted in blue decorative ribbon on the side of the package all bedecked in silver foil reminded her of something that the alarm caused by the early morning doorbell ring had pushed back momentarily today was agrima's ninth birthday come in come in don't stand out there in the cold she cried out half entreaty half command ushering him to a sofa she turned on a heat convector and carefully aimed it at her father where he sat you shouldn't have started so early agrima is still asleep wanted to surprise her as she awoke he grinned childishly aruna nodded acknowledging in her mind the intense bond she sensed between her daughter and her father as she set about preparing tea in the open kitchen she asked what have you brought her this time another doll house no she is a bit grown up for that okay thank you and then we find out about the inid blayton books um so yeah let me tell you a little something about my markings so you can tell when when i do markings like this the little squiggly line 
it means that there's some kind of problem that I'm perceiving. I don't necessarily know what it is, and I don't know how to talk about it 100%, but I just do this squiggly line because somehow to my ear, it doesn't sound quite right. I have to admit, I mean, obviously we can see that this sentence is kind of long. This is micro. We're just going to deal, deal with a couple of micro things to start with. Um, we can see that it's a very long sentence, obviously. But what ends up happening is this is a little, this is a little thing that you can get used to. When we're, when we're writing, our sentences are basically music. So we shouldn't think of our, we shouldn't think of our language really as words 100%. And they're not 100% the words, the meaning of the words. We, we might think that, but to a large degree, they're also the music of the syllables in the reader's head and they form certain kinds of rhythms. We usually, if it's done well, we don't notice that. But if it's done in a way that kind of, um, you know, is disruptive to the reader, then we do. And this is something I find not, not just in this sentence, this is really for everybody. We'll start to do these sort of staccato um, small words and syllables. So we see, you know, a big fat nine pasted in blue decorative ribbon on the side of the package, all bedecked in silver foil. That's fine. Reminded her of some, something that the alarm caused by the early morning doorbell ring had pushed back momentarily, right? So dot, dot, dot. So that's a lot of syllables, right? That's a lot. And, and it's, and it has, if we, I mean, we do, Ashvani, you're a wonderful writer. So I hope we, we understand that. <clears throat> and your writing allows us to go to a very high level of discussion, you know, immediately. So I think that that's really great. So obviously talking about the rhythm of our sentences is a high level of discussion. But we can see that we, we then have kind of a cascade of these syllables that come to us, remind her of something that the alarm caused by the early morning doorbell ring had pushed back momentarily, right? So it's, it's just, it's, a, it's kind of a style thing. But when I make this comment here, you know, I like what you're going for because what you're, what you're trying to do with all this language is discuss the sort of psychic, psychological action for this woman as she's answering the, answering the door, right? That, like, that all of this stuff is coming at her at once. There's this fear, but then the fear sort of gets pushed back by the sight of the father, you know? So, I think it's a really interesting thing that you're going for. And so I really, I want to encourage that because I think that when we start to try to get into that level of the psychological, psycho-emotional experience of our character, I think we're doing really good work. So that's why you end up getting squiggly lines and I like what you're going for. Um, and maybe maybe those things actually go together because we kind of do write these sort of clunky, ungainly sentences when we are going for something that's a little bit special. And I think that in some ways, even though this is clunky and the rhythm is off, this is maybe 
it's probably the most interesting sentence in this piece. Um, then this one, so we have the Inid Blayton books. Ashvani, I know as strange as it might be, not everybody knows who this person is. Who, I, I don't. <laughs> I think I'm, 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 the one, I'm the one that's out of the loop, okay, that's clear. Um, so I don't know this person. And so when I say, I wish you could teach us these first, this is my thought process. When I, so when I read this, I don't know the significance of these books. So when they appear on the page, um, when actually they're not really even appearing yet because they're wrapped up. So when, when they are spoken of, I don't have any idea what the meaning is of them. And I don't know what they mean to either of the characters, but we're gonna talk about either of the characters in a second, because you really have to, you do have to decide on whose point of view you're gonna be dealing with. But then, so when, when I read that, I was like, you need to somehow set it up. And this is where it can become a little bit difficult. So how do you set this up you know, I, I was thinking about it because I just start, I, I start doing my rewriting in my head, basically, you know, how can you set this up so that it can work? It kind of can't work with the father slash grandfather saying that he brought the books because you don't have, yeah, go ahead, Ashvani. I know how to do it. I need 500 words more. <laughs> I'm, Ashvani, I keep, I keep trying to tell you, I, I've, I've always like, I've always assigned these short assignments because you can see everything in a short period of time. Right. And I always, get, I always get people who will say it's the, it's the number of words. That's the problem. It's like, uh, no, you know, the famous, you know, that famous author that said um, at the end of this letter, he wrote, sorry to have written you such a long letter. I didn't have time to make it shorter. So, okay, this is the last time I use that alibi. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but, but this is, this is the way I think about it. Okay, so I see this problem, the reader has to understand what these books are. And they also really actually have because the books right now, we're, we're going to get into this a little bit, but, you know, the daughter is the primary character here. Um, we don't really stick with her. And we actually, this is the big issue of this story. We don't really tell her story so much. We don't talk about her journey and what this confrontation will end up meaning for her or, or how it changes her. That's what a story is. What it becomes is sort of basically just a dialogue and an antagonism, and I think that that was good, Ashvani. I think it's a, I think it's a good vehicle um, of antagonism to use these books, but it doesn't end up bursting into something more significant for these characters. So it ends up being sort of, you know, basically like a political statement. I mean, it's maybe like the articles that you read. Some people argue this way about the books, and some people argue this way. It's like, at the end of the day, that's not what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with political arguments. 
we're dealing with a transition of character that's caused by a character um, who is going about their everyday experience, being confronted by something, and through that confrontation, ending up changed. That's what we're doing. You have the basic structure for that here because you, you have this woman, the daughter, um, essentially being confronted by the father who has, um, I hesitate to say, antiquated ideas, right? He has older ideas. Um, he has various associations and she has more modern ideas. But really, in the end, it's not a question of old ideas and new ideas in conflict. It's actually a story about a daughter and a father in conflict. That's what the story, I mean, if we want to raise this story up to universal significance, most people don't care about the books, but everyone cares about their relationships with their parents. And, and, and even beyond that, even the relationship with parents speaks to something that's even more universal, just our relationships with other people. And at the end of the day, I'm gonna go ahead and say that our relationships with other people are the most important things that we have in our lives. I'm gonna go ahead and say that. I had a mentor that um, he was the same mentor that said, I would have rather cut off my hands at the, at the wrist than write this paragraph. That same mentor said, um, we, have to, we have to write about relationships. You, you, uh, we all know this, right? I mean, our society and our culture can act as if money and possessions are the most important things in life. But as we develop as human beings, there is certainly a time when we realize that relationships are the most important things that we have in our life, right? So that's why stories about relationship and conflict in relationship Your video appears to have stopped. What is? What is? I see your video has stopped and there's no audio either. Yeah, uh, Otis's video is stopped. I think it's probably some network outages. So let's give him a couple of minutes. Uh, I'm sure he'll uh, he'll uh, join back. No, I was just saying it aloud so that if I'm the only one affected, then somebody tells me. No, no, no. This is even, even I'm seeing his videos frozen. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, uh, not at all, Ashwini. So Ashwini, what I, I didn't uh, quite catch that. What was uh, Otis's point about this particular paragraph? You know, the one that he has marked with squiggly blue lines and then highlighted with a green uh, uh, line. Uh, he said that uh, the syllables, you know, they uh, don't. There are too many syllables in quick succession, and they don't sound good. So your uh, writing should sound like music. You know, it's an arrangement ah. that you 
make which makes it smooth and uh, you know readable so this one he said that what you're getting for this uh, sentence by itself is uh, uh, is good you know and i understand where you are getting to but the way it is uh, put into words that is not good i see i see okay now that's that's good to know <laughs> yeah. no but the lesson there of course is about editing i guess because if if i had you know spent more time editing done the editing exercise four five times uh, even now now when he's pointing it out uh, when i read it it appears to me yes there is some problem there but uh, probably i didn't spend enough time editing it so sometimes it happens with me you know when i write a sentence i put forget to put full stop and and i put full stop and such things like you know somebody has pushed a gun trigger as a, and the sentence is like half 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 so you know sometimes it happened to me that i write sentence in, in a flow and i forget to put full stops otis is back with us i think okay um can you hear me yes yes otis we can see you also okay um that was very weird my uh, it both it both shut me down and uh and i also lost my mouse and my control for a little while too so oh well wow. so um let me see if i can go back to the share um oh no i don't sorry i don't have that open sorry i'm a little bit so let's see what was i what was i railing about um for Ashvani when the time that I got cut out. Let's see. Okay, thanks, I think I have it here. Okay. Okay, uh, can you see my share? Yes, we can see it. Okay. So basically I'm 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 this is this is the biggest issue and 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 what you've done here is actually you've provided the sketch and thank goodness Ashvani you should be thankful you did it in you know 750 words rather than 3000 you've set up a sketch of something that could be a powerful story and if you can keep this anywhere near you know um, because it, it is a small event. It's almost just a scene in which this uh, daughter and father have this conflict over these books that were meaningful for him and probably did shape the way he sees the world to some extent and that the daughter rejects from her modern standpoint. That conflict is a, is a very interesting one. But, but what that conflict should end up speaking to is the either the the ability for this grandfather and daughter to have some kind of connection or not have a connection it should finally say something about that relationship and and that's that's our most important subject i i i think so i just share that you know we i think i've said a while ago that you know, our, our purpose, 
if we want to write something, I, I know you're not doing this, but if we want to write something that's, let's say, political or sociological or philosophical, we wouldn't do it with characters, I think, right? That we, the, the most important thing that we're trying to do is put characters on the page. That's the number one thing that we're trying to do. We're trying to get, and, and I've said before, people are miracles. I'm not, I have no judgment about human beings. We're miraculous. We're miraculously complex. We do, uh, we do good things that we don't know about. We do bad things that we justify with various reasons. We do, we're just this, you know, this incredibly complex mix of our actions and these ideas that we have about our actions. So human beings are really miraculous as individuals. And we want to get that miraculous individual as much as we can onto the page. And then what we do is we get them interacting with another miraculous inter individual. And we see that conflict between them. And what we're finally speaking about is human relationship, right? Human being, human being, human relationship. That is our subject. And we write about that because that's also what our reader finally wants to know about whether they think that the only thing that matters in life is money and possessions or worldly goods, whatever it is. That's what they think. But what the heart tells us is that other people are the things that are most important to us. And so they care about their relationships too. The ones that fail, the few that succeed, you know, and they want to learn about that and they want to learn how to, you know, traverse this, you know, this complex world of relationships that we have. Okay, so that's, that's the big picture here, that we sort of just remain in this, um, this discussion of the books, and the books are not finally what's important. So that that's a, a big issue. But yeah, I think, we, oh, oh, yeah, go ahead, Ashwani. Can uh, your uh, remarks at the bottom of the page on the right hand side, I'll just read it out. Can you tell me whether I'm reading it correct? Wish you could teach us what those are first. Uh, I am sure there is a way you will want to get into the head of Aruna. Right. Okay. okay. So okay. This, is where I'm, this is where I'm going. So when I see a problem like this, my, the first thing that goes on in my head, right, is that I say, I don't know what these books are. I don't know what, what meaning they have. And right now, as I read these words, as I read the words in it blatant books, it's spoken. I see nothing. I understand nothing. So, Got I'm, right. But I want to make the point for all of us. When this happens... As, as I'm a reader, right? So like my job is I read like this and it happens to me and then I figure out how to fix it. But what happens to most readers is when that happens, I look at words, nothing is happening in my brain. That means I leave the work, I'm gone, right? I am only going to engage with the work when something, I'm only going to continue reading when the words actually engage my brain, you know, and engage my heart also. My brain and my heart must be engaged for me to continue reading. So that means to me, we cannot have it like this. So how do we fix, how do we fix it? 
this is where this is where my experience counts. You might be like, I don't know how to fix it. This is how we fix it. We have to see the books. So right now, as you've plotted it, the books are wrapped. So that means that we cannot get into this discussion of these books until the books are opened. And this is because we can't have the father say the name of the books. What we really need, because we're in the point of view of Aruna, is for her to see the books. That way, Aruna sees the books. She tells us what they look like so that, so that the reader can see them, right? That's what happens. The characters see, the characters smell, the characters hear, they touch, etc., so that the reader can have the verisimilitude of the experience of human sensation, concrete interaction with the world. That's why we, that's why we do that. But then when, we're, when we have Aruna see the books, she will also be flooded with feelings. And we want to somehow, we don't want to write her feelings. This is something um, I said in another, another class yesterday, and I thought, it was, I thought it was good. Every now and then I come up with a way to say something, and I, I want to try to remember it. The writer does not write feelings. The writer makes feelings in the reader. Okay. In Hollywood, they say, my character doesn't cry, so my reader will. That's something to take away and put on our computer. But basically, I'll go back to the idea, we do not write feelings. We don't write, she felt da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, no, we don't do that. We wanna write things that make the reader feel things. That's why we dramatize. But we do, in a sense, and, and as much as possible, we wanna use concrete detail and concrete language to evoke the feelings of the reader because abstract language simply doesn't do it. So to recast this, I would, I don't know where you start. So we, we can talk about that in a second, but basically I would get, I, I would need to get this package unwrapped. That way Aruna can see them and we can get a visual description of them. And then we wanna get concrete language that represents her response to seeing these books because she knows them in some way. And through that, we might even learn something about the contents of this book, of these books, not just the labels. Right now, they're labeled as xenophobic, uh, sexist, racist. You know, they're labeled with all of these things. But Aruna, because she knows the books, I imagine, might be able to access things that demonstrate those points of view. And that's going to be much more effective for the reader. Okay. Um, that's, a, sorry, that's a huge long explanation, but I, but I, what I really, what I really want you, what I want everyone to sort of learn is that as writers, we have certain problems and our major problem is how do we give information to the reader so that the reader will end up feeling something that is our big issue. And what we do is we basically sequence information, you know, in order. So I look at this and I'm saying, well, this is not sequenced in order because when this, when the father mentions these books, I don't know what they are. 
So that means that I have to know what they are before he talks about them. So my sequence has changed. He says it here and I don't know what they are. So now I have to teach the, I have to teach the reader what these books are and what they mean principally to Aruna before the father says the words. Does that make sense? I got it. Yeah. yeah basically, so, uh, the mistake was presuming that everybody knows what any blind books are. A little bit, yes. That's a, that's the that is sort of the mistake here specifically. But we never want to make assumptions about our readers. And we, and it's actually more important. It's not, it's again, going back to, it's not about the books. It's about Aruna, right? This story is about Aruna, not the books. So it's not that we need to know about the books. We need to see the books and understand how they affect Aruna. Okay. Because that is the subject of this. The subject of this story is Aruna, Aruna's reaction to her father bringing these books. It is not about the books. Understood. Yeah, that's the that's the level that we want to get at, get to. Okay. Okay. So that said, I can't help but feel Ashvani that this father looks a little bit like you. <laughs> so this is where I'm going to get to a really big, a really big thing. There's a saying in writing to write what you know. Okay, so I am going to tell you in a little bit of a complex way, it's a maxim that people have, write what you know. I don't believe in this maxim. I think I think instead we have to know what we write about. Because I don't think that we need to be restricted. I don't think any author or writer should or any artist in any way should be restricted about what material they deal with. But when we take on material, we have to do it as well as we possibly can. It's a responsibility. That said, I think Ashvani we have two characters here, uh, the father and Aruna. Of those two characters, I'm going to suggest now you probably understand the father's character maybe a little bit better than the daughter's character. That doesn't mean you can't write about the daughter. But if you do decide to write about the daughter, you have to understand. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's 750 words. It doesn't matter if it was 50 words. It doesn't matter if it was a poem. It doesn't, none of those things matter. If you're going to write from the point of view of Aruna, and this is for everyone, when you write from someone's point of view, you have to know their point of view. Knowing another person's point of view, if they're very different than you, and in this case, Ashvani, this, this character is quite different from you. Um, you probably do not have the experience of being a daughter. I, you definitely don't. I don't either. It's a, of, of being a woman, you don't have that experience either. Those are 
those aspects of character mean that her experience her experience in the world is colored by those aspects of character continually every single day how difficult will it be to understand that life very difficult i think it's a great thing to try and understand it that aside now let's go to characters that are maybe more like us a father you know a walrusy you know gray mustache <laughs> you know uh you know still retaining our blonde hair you know as my daughters tell me i haven't but i know that they're wrong um we might know that a little bit better but we still have to do a lot of work as writers because when we live our life we don't try to understand our life but when we write about somebody as a character we have to understand them fully we have to understand things about the character that the character doesn't even understand about themselves oscar wilde said only the shallow know themselves i was like that but anyway so the the issue of point of view and writing someone's point of view is the biggest challenge that we have then not only do we have to write um our when we write so let's say we're writing aruna we have to know her point of view what is it like even to have her father come over what is it like for for her to have her father have a closer relationship perhaps with the with the child than he had with her what does it mean to her to have the father bring something into the house that challenges her control over the child's in a sense the child's psyche right as she sees it um those are all important things to understand but when we write as writers up here we also actually have to understand even though we're not writing in the point of view of the character of let's say here the father or whoever the antagonist is we have to understand that character fully as well we as writer actually have to understand all of our characters completely it's a big task but it's a particularly big task when we go into the point of view because um i forget i think it's edith sitwell said no truth but point of view which means that when we're in a <clears throat> when we're in aruna's point of view we want to understand that because of her life experience that you don't know about because you didn't live it i don't know about i didn't live it i don't even know what it's like to be a daughter i don't know so many things about her life but when we write in her point of view we have to understand that everything she sees is biased and colored by her life experience and so we have to understand her life experience to understand how she sees the world this is going to be a big wrap around here to the books that's why i say what we need to do is we need to have the books shown she needs to see them and then we need to know how she sees them right so she sees them books but then how does she see them she sees them as the devil incarnate 
I'm making a little bit of a joke, but does that make sense? Yeah, we need both. We, we need both of those things. We need to see both the reality, the objective reality that they are books, and we need to see the subjective reality that they are uh, an encroachment on her world, an encroachment upon her child, an encroachment upon her her modern worldview, which is desperately important to her. And if it should be stripped from her, she'd be left in a kind of chaos, which is what happens when our worldview is disrupted. The same is true for the father, right? Interestingly, right? He, he sees the books in some kind of objective way, right? He sees that they have pages, but he also has a subjective opinion about the books based on his experience. And he has a worldview that's also attached to his subjective experience. And this is what the clash is. Where they're both being threatened, where their worldviews are being threatened and they're threatening each other. And the result of losing that conflict is a kind of, I don't have good terms for it, but like a kind of emotional um, chaos to lose, to lose, you know, our worldview is the, is the container for us. You know, it keeps us safe in a sense and helps us feel that we understand what's going on in the world around us and et cetera. So, <clears throat> So I want to say, I want to say, I love that you have, you have the sketch of it here. You have a protagonist, you have an antagonist, you have them clash. It's a little microcosm of this much larger issue of human beings who have worldviews that clash. And in this case, close human beings, a father and a daughter. I might suggest that you do know, probably intuitively, the father's experience a little bit better, going back to the write what you know. You might try exploring this from the father's point of view. The thing to realize when we write a story, however, is that it is the protagonist that is it's the protagonist who changes. It's the protagonist who is tested. It is the protagonist who must grow. So we can't come into a situation where, let's say, you know, I'm writing the story, I'm the father, and I'm writing about my daughter, I'm writing about this conflict with my daughter, and da 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 da, and I turned out to be right and she turned out to be wrong. That's not what happens in the story. What happens is the protagonist is wrong. The protagonist is the one who must learn. The protagonist learns from their conflict with the antagonist. The antagonist, no matter how horrible they might be, and you can think of me when you think of this, no matter how horrible that antagonist is, they are the teacher of the protagonist. That's my big speech, Ashvani. I think this is a great start. I, I, I want to see this. I'm fascinated by these two points of view. 
about the books. I'm fascinated. I, I don't, since I don't know the books, I, you'll need to get that in there so that I can understand what we're really dealing with so I can evaluate for myself what these characters are feeling about the books. <clears throat> but I like that the father has his perceptions uh, based on his childhood experience with these books, which he sees as positive. And the daughter has a different perception of the books based on her experiences. It's really a perfect story. So uh, focus it, <clears throat> decide who you wanna focus on, whether it's gonna be the daughter, and then you have to make a commitment to really knowing the daughter or the father who you might know a little bit better, but you cannot be easy on. <laughs> you know, um, in a story, nobody is right and nobody's wrong because it's not about right and wrong. A story is about human relationships. It's a, it's a great start. I really, I, I want to, I, I would love to see you develop this piece if you can, if you can develop this piece here, it's 750 words. I agree. I think that this piece should be a little bit longer. Um, you know, if it goes, gets to 3000 words, it would be great. And you're, and you're a wonderful writer. I think you could work on this piece and um, send it out for some publications. So I would like to see that happen. The shorter you, the shorter you make your story, the more likely it will be taken by publications because Everybody today likes shorter, better than longer. No more Proust. <laughs> um, any questions? No, I just wanted to say two very quick things. One is that that sentence which you point out, the second paragraph in the story, which is now visible on the screen with all those markings. Uh, <laughs> Probably the lesson there is that the editing is not adequate. I should have, you know, gone through the editing exercise a couple of more times and then uh, this thing would have been jarring. I mean, maybe I, in the back of my mind, I knew it, there was something wrong, but I didn't do enough to mend it. That is the problem, I think. And the other point I wanted to make was about uh, the, uh, the conflict and the protagonist. In my mind, the story is has got a protagonist, which is that daughter and an antagonist who is the father. And at the end of the story, the protagonist change her, changes her point of view uh, from earlier being totally opposed to the idea of her daughter reading Enid Blyton till in the end, you know, swayed somewhat by her father's arguments and somewhat by the delight which her daughter feels on looking at the books. She changes her mind and is changed at the end. So in my mind, I thought I had met those requirements, but apparently uh, as a, you know, as a macro picture, it uh, somehow doesn't uh, feel like a story. That's what you're trying to tell me. Well, I'm, I guess I'm saying a little bit that right now it feels like it's sort of an argument about the books and a story is not about the books. The story is about the relationship of the mother and the father. So in a sense, I'm saying that you really actually have to emphasize and blow up the, the conflict between the father and the daughter. That's what's at issue. And you have, to, you have to blow up that conflict so that we amplify that conflict so that we understand that that's really what's at issue. And then we have to see 
in that regard, where does it go so that we have a change of character? Okay. Arguing about whether the books are good or bad is immaterial. And I mean, the reason it's why I say it's immaterial is that your reader is not going to connect to it because I don't, I'm, it doesn't matter. It's sort of like, yeah, I mean, do you like mushu pork or not? You know, I, who cares? You know, I, at the end of the day. But the relationship is the universal story. Our desire to connect with people who are important to us, our, our, our desire to, um, yeah, go back to connecting, connecting, feeling that love, feeling that sense of safety, feeling that, um, you know, that's the realm that we're talking about. And so if she were to change in that regard, you really have... What you, really, what you really need to have happen in this story is there needs to be reconciliation between their characters. Because right now they're at odds and that does not happen. They're at odds. She might acquiesce about the books, but that doesn't change anything about their relationship. And the relationship is the story. So we need to build that so that we can move that to some kind of reconciliation. Um, it's a really great start, though. And, uh, and the way I look at it, the books are just a conceit. They're a vehicle for this other story. So, but I think that the books are a great conceit. And I, and I have the feeling that they would be very interesting. I mean, a very interesting um, vehicle for our experience. And the other thing, Ashvani, you have to be very careful of is remember when I talk about the, the protagonist and the antagonist must be equals. Right now, it can feel like the father's right and the daughter's wrong. The, and that means that what happens is sort of inevitable. She accepts it, da-da-da-da. That's an imbalanced story. The daughter can't be wrong. She's not wrong. The father is not wrong either. They just have different points of view. Got it. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you very much. Can I ask a question here? Can I ask a question here? Uh, can multiple point of view can be played around in this story? If the father is there, the daughter is there, and the granddaughter is also there. So multiple point of view can be used in the story, can it not? I'm just asking, because I have a question. I have a very doubt about point of view when I start writing about it. Uh, I find it very difficult to write choosing point of view. So I wanted to know about the point of view, uh, using example of this story, since the story is quite good. I'm really enjoying uh, it. So if you can give me insight into it. Yeah. So, so in this story, the point of view actually moves around. So we are, we're in different points of view. This is the way I look at it. We, we, need to, we need to be focused, basically. So I think we're better off having one point of view. The point of view character is the protagonist. And we choose the protagonist with the reason we emphasize their point of view is that we have to give them a lot of attention. We want to give them attention through what they understand, how they understand the world objectively and how they understand it subjectively. And through that, we move them through the course of the story and they're the ones who will change. 
if you use multiple points of view, I think then we have an obligation to have both characters change. That becomes harder. If we have all three, if we have the, the mother, the daughter, uh, sorry, the, the mom, the father, and the daughter all there together, then they would all have to change. We, this is my, I'm just gonna tell you from my point of view, we tend to use multiple points of view. Ashvani, it's not on you, but it's, we're a little bit lazy. It's easy. It's easy to write multiple points of view. It's really hard to truly understand a character. The biggest issue in our writing is truly understanding a miraculous human being and getting them on the page. When we jump from points of view, then we can be like, ah, we treat them all superficially. And that's what happens. We have multiple points of view. We have superficial characters. We concentrate on a single character. We, we, uh, we frame that person and we elevate them. That's what we do usually in literary work. Okay, so a simple way to think about it with multiple points of view, and, and these things do get played with, absolutely. But the, the simple way to think of it nowadays is that literary work tends to emphasize character and tends to restrict itself in terms of point of view. Genre work, spy novels, crime novels, tend to emphasize plot and because it's easier have multiple points of view that's the simple way that i divide it literary work tends to emphasize character human beings right and and does not emphasize plot as much obviously it's a continuum right and genre work emphasizes plot more and character less so you decide what you want to do. What kind of work do you want to write? Thank you so this, much. This is not, this is definitely not a plot oriented story. It's an emotional character driven story. So I think that Ashvani would be well served to emphasize the character. I think we had a discussion already about Chekhov who, who I can't get Ashvani to read, I guess. I had a question, Otis, if you have time for it. Yeah. Uh, so this is, if we are to write about characters who are not us, how do we get to know them better? How do we get into the skin of those characters who are not like us? Right. Well, I mean, you know the answer to that already, kind of. I mean, you do this work. So it's an imaginative act, right? right? It's an imaginative act that we also, that I think that we, we lead a little bit with our intellect. The first way we lead it with our intellect is to understand that people are formed by their experiences and that those experiences are very different. So even if I, I mean, <laughs> I have an embarrassing story to tell about me trying to write from a woman's point of view that I'm not gonna tell here you know, now, but sometime when we all hang out, I'll tell this story. But anyway, to, to let, let us understand first intellectually that we do not know anyone else's point of view. That's the first thing that we have to do. If we can admit that we have no idea how they see the world, that's a good start. 
now we try to learn and understand. I think, I think that's where we can begin. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And I think that we even have to apply that when we base, we definitely have to apply that when we base characters on ourselves. I mean, I, you know, that in a lot of ways, I've based a lot of characters that I've written on myself over time, and they've not always been my most successful characters by any means. But through that process, I've actually also learned about myself. Right. Because yeah. I've object because I've objectified the writer objectifies while also trying to imagine the subjective experience. So there it's something like that. Does that make sense? We're sort of objectively looking at the subjective experience. What happens within characters, right? Characters themselves think that their biased subjective experience is objective. Right? That's what characters do. That's what you know, that's what all human beings do. They think that their biased point of view and their biased perceptions are objective. What we do as writers is we have to see objectively that we have characters who do just that, right? Who see the world subjectively, but think that they're seeing it objectively. That's what we do as writers. Mm -hmm. And we have to dig deeply into that character trait. Right. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. Is it? It's a little bit complicated. It's just complicated, it's... yeah. And I don't know, uh, because I was grappling with wanting to write about, uh, to adapt a book into a play, which, but I have no idea about the world of that character. I was a prominent character. So, you know, a politician, say. So now sitting here uh, in a, you know, unpolitical, apolitical world, and imagining trying to become that would not be an easy task. But yeah, maybe finding a human angle to that well, uh, character. Well, we definitely and, want to find we definitely want to find a human angle because that is that is a common denominator. To know ourselves as a human being is a great base. So we want to understand ourselves as a human being, but we also want to understand this other thing that we create, this this kind of ego or whatever it is that basically is a subjective construction of ourselves so we want to use both we don't often actually think about our human base but we as writers definitely want to see that in the vast majority we're actually very much the same we're the same human animal platform upon which other things are built so we do want to know those universal aspects you know we we all get frightened we all want safety we all want connection we all want control we all want a lot of things in common so we should know that we we can't think oh well i like to have control but so and so doesn't that's not true oh i i am sometimes afraid of things but so and so isn't that's not true we are we are we are an animal that reacts in very predictable ways. And so that is a base. But then we also have ideas and we have strategies based on our experience, you know, and we want to understand those. Right. Um, yeah, that helps. Uh, that helps. And, and, and it, to me, they're very much the same. Some people, some people are like, 
oh, there's characters, there's good people and bad people. I'm not like that at all. I think mm -hmm. that we're, we, we are wired to survive and we figure out how to survive, right. you know, given, given our context. Right. Um, the other thing that I, I do, you know, when I've, so I, I, I do what I, I consider experiential research. So right. if I'm thinking about a character, so I wrote about, um, I wrote about someone in the military and he was a sharpshooter. So I, you know, I went out and I did some shooting. I, okay. I, because he marched a lot with something that was long and heavy, I cut a piece of pipe, I filled it with concrete and I walked through the hills with it. Okay. I want to know because, because our experiences as human beings are not just intellectual experiences and actually they're mostly not. They're perceptive experiences. They are physical experiences. So I wanna understand those physical experiences. Um, I, think it's, I think it's the most fun work, you know, and, but I also, I will never, I, I will not ever say that it's easy. Yeah. And, and we should not say that it's easy. And that the presumption, the presumption that it is, or that we have some divine right to be able to write someone else's point of view does not exist. We have to work hard for it. Right, right. Yeah. We have yeah. to do the work. We have to do the work. The legwork, as we call it, right, in the business, we have to do the legwork. That right. doesn't mean, and I, and I really mean it. I mean, you know, physical, physical work. Yes. Oh, that's, that's helpful to start mm -hmm. here. And then the, the, the other thing, I mean, I, I've, I like talking about this, but the other thing when we're thinking about investing our time with a character, we, we want to understand, we want to see, so this is true of all characters. Every character combines two things, the universal element and the unique element. Right. So we want to be able to understand the universal element because so the character that I write about that's not me, I have to understand my universal connection with that character. That's the most, that's most of it, right? I can feel that character with almost everything based on our universal um, sympathy, right? And, and resonance with each other. But then I also have to understand the unique experience, right? The things, so like I have the unique experience of all my life, people have looked at me as being a man, a boy and a man, right? For example, that has completely changed my perception of the world that I've been looked at that way all my life. And a woman, a girl and a woman has been looked at as a girl and a woman all her life. That has completely changed the way that she looks at the world as an example. Um, but everything, every aspect of our, of, our, of our unique experience colors the way we look at the world. So it's, it's just fascinating to start to get into that realm. It's where, it's where 
I think it's 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 why I write for sure. Let's talk about Jay's work. Jay, jump on here. Tell us a little bit about this. Hi, Otis. Hey, how are you? Thanks for sending in something. Appreciate it. Okay, so this is a continuation of uh, earlier pieces I had uh, shared. It, it takes off from there where we had uh, a, a conversation between somebody uh, and somebody else in the middle of darkness, you know, by the riverside where he came in. I don't know if you remember that one. This is a continuation of that where they spoke about, you know, where they were planning a conspiracy. Okay. Which is why, which is why I hadn't indicated the time frame or context or setting for that matter because I thought it was a continuation from there. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Um, Jay, you know, I read a lot, so I gotta, you know, you gotta give me some, cut me some slack, as they say. Um, and, uh, but the issue, uh, yeah, well, one, I like, I like this piece. You know, it, there's, there's a lot of action. You're really, um, you, you're really developing your ability to get down into the character doing things. You know, like, I can feel the imaginative process that you're engaged in, like, you, you become this person in a sense. And then as I'm reading it, I also feel like I'm participating in the events along with this person. And this character here, Donna, uh, really has a, a personality, right? Um, and I like that. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit. So just, uh, right, the things, uh, go back to, you know, when I, poor Ashvani, right? I railed on his story for an hour and a half and uh you know talking about that book but using this as a as a the book as an example when i said when i read the title of that book nothing is going on in my brain okay when i read the word building nothing goes on in my brain or okay. right it's so vague right there's no detail there so regardless of whether I already know what the building might look like or not, you don't want me to read any words in which nothing is happening in my brain. That's a, that's a big danger. Mm -hmm. um, the, I'll just, just, uh, what if I had ended the previous paragraph by speaking about them going to sleep in a rest house. And then the next paragraph has this mention of the building. So I, because that's how it is. Right. Well, I, I think it's true. Everything, everything I, I teach is like, it's not a bunch of rules. I don't think. Okay. So I definitely want you to grapple with them yourself. I basically deal. I, I basically teach from the perspective of, we have to deal with this pesky reader, this pesky human being and the human brain, right? It's their human brain that really is our antagonist as writers. If we could just write whatever words we wanted, that would be great but we have to deal with the fact of this reader and how they perceive those words. This is something that I think, because I've thought a lot about this, this pesky reader who is actually just like me. So this is the way I learn about the reader is mm -hmm. that it seems to me that I bear down into a text when I get details, when I get specific concrete details, they focus me, they make me zoom in, right? And that's very engaged. But when I don't get those, then I sort of fade out into the distance. That's how I feel when I read. 
So okay. when I write, when I write, I employ that, like that understanding of myself and how I read also shapes the way I write. So, mm -hmm. and I have, and I've definitely done this. I have like, I was talking about the character who was the military person. And there's a point where he's sitting in the desert and I focus in on the fleas, the sand fleas that are moving through the hairs on his arm. Okay. I did, I did well with that piece, Jay. I did pretty well with it. So I'm just going to say that I, I got positive feedback from going into those details. Okay. I, I would suggest it. It's harder to go into details, isn't it though, than it is to write vague words like building. So Otis, uh, I, yeah. I have a question there. So, you know, you're very, I have also read this uh, in uh, several other places and you have stressed upon this uh, several times that it is important to get the details because that is what engages the reader. It allows them to build a picture of the, of the setting of the scene. But, and, and on the other hand, I've read, you know, say, for example, if you look at uh, Tom Clancy's works, right, and they have uh, obviously a huge following, but in some uh, places, his writing gets uh, very detailed, and I'm sure there's a huge fan following for that, but it's, uh, you know, I start to feel that here is about eight pages that is describing, uh, you know, the inside of, a, uh, say, a submarine, for example, and at what point, writing for a general audience, do you uh, decide is uh, what is a heuristic that you can use to decide that, okay, this is enough detail at which point I can stop and I can move on. And you know what, this is where the reader may appreciate a little more detail than just, you know, two or three lines that I have already put in. Right. Okay. So, I mean, this, this is a really, it, it's actually kind of a complex writing issue. So like if, what you're telling me about Clancy, and this is something that I've dealt with too, is that sometimes writers, we do a lot of research. We do a lot of research um, in order, I do tons of research in order to find language a lot of the time. We do not want to write our work probably that's overloaded with details because too much detail is actually also stultifying. So what, I mean, this is again, what, what my continuum is like this. There are two things that we want to avoid, boredom and confusion. And to me, you can actually see this continuum really kind of on a circle because boredom and confusion are kind of, they, they seem to join to me at the bottom of the circle, right? So we're kind of going like that. Too much detail is boring. It's also confusing, right? Too little detail is also kind of boring and it's also confusing right? Because we can't see or we see too much. We need to find a good, uh, we need to find the sweet spot in between those two things. And I think that, that what I like to do is I like to pan out and pan in, just like in the movies, right? We see the, we see the shot coming in over Miami, right? We've seen that shot hundreds of times at this point. And then we go down into the little bodega and then we see the, the drip come down the beer bottle and I don't know, I think we ought to kill them. You know, that's what we do, <laughs> right? So, so I like that, you know, uh, I like doing different things, but the, the main thing, so if we think about that continuum, 
we want to avoid boredom and confusion. And we have a sweet spot, which I, which I would say is necessary complexity, mm. right? We want to, that is the, that is the state of engagement that we, that we want to try to achieve that sort of necessary complexity, complex enough, but also understandable. Um, that's why, we, you know, I, I detail the flea, but I don't detail other things. When I go to the detail, I focus the attention, they're riveted, then I come back and I pan out and they still are gathering everything. I always wanna have that, but I wanna vary it so they don't feel like they're being hit with a ball peen hammer. Right, no, that, that, that's a very you know, fair point. In, I'll tell you from my personal experience and perhaps you know, Jay has also experienced some of that, which is that in some cases I deliberately leave out details because what I end up feeling is that, you know, I think the reader will want to imagine some of the things on their own. And if I give them, uh, you know, every bit of detail that might be, uh, that might seem like I'm talking down to the reader, uh, so that's some level of confusion that at times I have. I, I know, you know, for, for example, when writing that, I know that yes, some little detail would might be useful. I don't know for sure whether it would be. And if I make the decision not to add the detail, it's probably because I'm thinking that uh, let the reader, you know, imagine some of these things. Perhaps the reader may want to imagine some of these things. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I think that again, it's a it's a balance point. I mean, there, you know. Um, what you're talking about with Clancy, it seems to me when, when we write too much detail, it's basically because we want to show off all of our research. And Clancy has made something of a career of being a, a, an outsider who does his research and he's also gained access to a lot of things. And so he wants right. to tell the world that he has all of that. His career is kind of built on it, in fact, so that he has all this access. And so he demonstrates it. I also do a lot yeah. of research and I have to be very careful about overdoing it. We, uh, oh, I was going to say Raymond Carver, on the other hand, who is someone that we should all read and please everyone who's working in short stories, read what we talk about when we talk about love by Raymond Carver. So that's a tremendous collection of short stories. Very spare writer. He wasn't even that spare originally, but he had an editor at the New Yorker who took out a lot of his language and left something that was more spare. But what ends up being there is the right amount to inspire, engage the imagination of the reader. That's the thing that's crucial. We don't, we need something to be happening in terms of that engagement. That's the number one thing. So we need to figure out what that is. I don't want to, I don't want to bear down on it too much, but like, like for me, if this is during the period, a period, let's say, you know, let's put it at uh, 18th century, you know, you know, we'll put it back 10,000 years or something like that. I might want to know if I see building, I might want to know what the buildings were made out of, you know, then I, I would think about, oh, if they're made out of some kind of sandstone, then maybe I would have him put his hand on the sandstone. I know that it's sandstone. I don't need to write that, but I want to get the details right. When he puts it, his hand on there, it's rough and leads a fine dust on his hand. I don't know. I mean, that's, I want to use my research and incorporate it into the work. And like I said before, I use research to give me language 
and to give me accuracy and to give me maybe a sense of confidence about what I'm saying. I don't want to not have that confidence and, and not have that understanding of the world because then I, then I won't, you know, I won't put it, I won't put the words on the page that, that, that evoke that world. I don't, I don't know if that made sense. I feel like I went in a circle. Um, but anyway, Jay, let's keep, let's keep going a little bit here. Um, so, um, but I did, I like this very much. I like that we have this character, um, and this is how I read this, uh, a spot near the temple, uh, a spot near his temple reminded them that he needed three tumblers less of today and three hours more no, of that's, sleep. That's actually toddy, not today. That's an autocorrect problem. But what is it? Toddy, toddy. It's like country liquor. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the, the autocorrect maybe threw me a little bit, but I still like the idea of it. Like that he, sometimes, yeah. sometimes autocorrect is our poetic friend, you know, you know, three tumblers yeah. less of today. I like that idea. He needed three tumblers less of today. I like it. Uh, but, but whether it's toddy, which it might be not as good. And I've definitely made mistakes that I've kept Jay. I will mm -hmm. tell you that is okay. I, I, I tell you serendipity, you know, the muse or whatever it is that guides, that guides us. Um, but three tumblers less of today. I like his character as being sort of like, he's hung over. He's been a bit sauced. Uh, yeah. you know, he went, uh, you know, carousing the night before. I thought we were dealing with something that was going to be a little hard boiled at this point. You know, he comes out of the, so I didn't, because I didn't know where we were. I didn't know where we yeah. started. I couldn't see no. anything with the building. I was like, I thought we were dealing with like Sam Spade or, you know, uh, you know, it sounds a little bit, he needed, he needed about three tumblers less of today and, and four more <laughs> hours of sleep. And then in walked the dame, you know, then in walked the dame is usually the next thing. Yeah. Uh, um, anyway, I like that character. I feel like I, even though, even though the, the setting changed, Mm -hmm. for me as i read i still mm -hmm. felt that character was well established and consistent throughout this entire piece so i like that mm. he's kind of brash he kind of drinks too much he, you know he might he might get in a fight and then slap you on the back in the morning and said what a good time we had last night <laughs> you know i like all of that mm -hmm. um back to the vague <laughs> okay. A tall man in the vortex of chaos. Okay, I would like you right now, uh, Jay, to close your eyes and imagine the vortex of chaos. All right, I, I get what you mean. You have it? You have it? You see yeah. something? No, you don't. You don't see the vortex yeah. of chaos. I get what you mean. <laughs> okay. It's, but but it's, again, it goes back to the language. It goes back to this pesky reader that we have, this human animal that's on the other side mm -hmm. of our words. The way mm -hmm. our brains work. There's a couple of things that I think, like writing-wise, we should kind of try to avoid. Obviously, these broad, vague words are difficult for us to deal with without having details that ground the reader. But also, um, collective words, the crowd, right? Close your... Again, I go back to this a lot. Close your eyes and imagine the crowd. Can't do it. We can imagine specific details. And so even though sometimes we do want to have a wide picture, 
we also want to make sure that we focus. You know, the crowd surged and a small boy holding a teddy bear was pushed against the fence, right? So the no. crowd, I don't see anything, but now once I focus on the kid and the teddy bear pushed against the fence, I do start to see things. Yeah. This is, this is the thing with our brain, you know? It's a brain thing. Um, I, um, and I mentioned, you know, throughout this beginning, like I say, I'm not really always clear about uh, mm -hmm. what's going on, but, but I understand that this is taken out of context. So that's, that's fine. Just, you want to just make sure that sentence by sentence, I've, I think I've said this before, you know, we're writing a collection of words, right? They move along on this line. We want to use this idea of expectation and surprise over and over again. We use it mm. paragraph by paragraph. We use it sentence by sentence and we use it word by word. I always want the reader to be anticipating the next word, being driven towards it. And then I want to surprise them with it. I want them to be engaged in every word. There is not a single word that I want the reader to feel disengaged from. Hmm. I have to manage that because I can't have the same level of intent, uh, intensity all along because hmm. I will exhaust my reader with intensity. Although uh, given various problems, I'll take that one. But I don't want to exhaust them. I want them to be able to relax sometimes. And then I want them to be intensely engaged and then relaxed engaged. Again, I want it to move in that way but I do not ever want them to leave the page. That's hmm. my, that's my mandate hmm. because, because I've, you know, we have to face it, Jay, you know, we're asking for the reader's time and as brilliant as we think we are, the reader has a lot of other things that they could do. Hmm. They could, they could read any other book, any other book that's ever been written instead of ours. That's one. Hmm. They could see any other movie. They could watch a movie instead of reading our book. They could see any TV show. They could go outside and they could, you know, yell at somebody. They could get as much action as they wanted in a heartbeat. So we have to realize that we're, we're in competition basically with life itself. Hmm. We're asking the reader to remove themselves from life itself and go into our book. So we have to take that, that competition very seriously. Mm. I learned that, I learned that at Stanford, I went there with writers who were amazing and I'm like, oh my God, I better be good because they're never going to read my work. They're always going to read Adam Johnson's work. Urgh! How I hated him, Jay. Mm. And same, same with, same with you, Jay. I, you're in competition with me, and everyone here, and everyone on earth to get the attention of your reader. So hmm. you really got to work for it. But I can tell that you are going to. Um, right. I got this. Uh, when we get when we get this, the palm leaf yeah. um, shrivel back into a tight roll. Now I'm getting a detail that's telling me something about it. I um, needed this a page ago. You know, this is the kind of detail. So if I'm writing about this historical time period, 
Have you ever seen a palm leaf that was uh, inscribed upon? Yeah. So I would, I would like, if I knew I was writing about it, I would go and look at that again, or I would look at pictures and I would try and get some detail out of it. Like okay. some, some, some detail that then I could put into this moment. You know, it, how does it crackle? How does it, you know, what does the writing look like? What is it, you know, is it indent something to hmm. like make this seem real? So it doesn't just seem like, oh yeah, the palm leaf and the, you know, we want to make it seem like it's a real object yeah. that's being handled. A uh, little, the captain pretended not to notice. It's just, you know, I understand how that could be in the character's point of view, but it's unclear mm -hmm. to me that it is. So, you know, he yeah, can this, this I wanted scene. to ask you about. I mean, uh, because my uh, POV thus far has been with Dana, should I stick to it? Or, I mean, this, this is clearly something that the captain has noticed. And we need to tell the, you know, we need to, let's say, show the reader that there is a gleam of excitement in Dana's eyes when, when he's been told to follow with the entourage of the princess, that he is excited about it. And I thought it'd be better if that excitement is told not from Dana's own perspective, but from an observer's perspective. So this is the way I look at it. Again, I go back to the pesky reader, right? Damn reader. So in, in, our, in our lives, the way we live our lives is we live in a single point of view only our entire life. We might think we know other people's point of view, but we don't. We live in our point of view. So this is our most, most natural form. When we get the reader, when we engage the reader and draw them into the point of view of a character, that's a very big achievement. It takes a lot of work. If we have the reader in this point of view and then we pull them out and we throw them into this minor character's point of view and now they're suddenly standing here looking this way, it seems to be a little bit of a violence that we're doing to the reader. Okay. Right? I mean, we're sort of taking their consciousness out of one character and throwing it into another just to suit our purposes. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and when we do that, we also, I mean, then we actually, I think we have the responsibility to actually get them engaged in this point of view. Do we really want to do that with the captain? No, I don't think so. It is harder to write in a single point of view, Jay. It is more difficult. It will make you a better writer if you try to do it. Okay. It's easy hmm. to jump in. It's easy to write these vague sentences. The captain pretended not to notice. What did he do? What is it? What does a person do when they pretend not to notice something? Hmm. Or does he? Or did he smirk? Right? Or did he uh, maintain a poker face? Right. What What does he do? Right. Because it's our business not to tell things. Right. When we say mm -hmm. the captain pretended not to notice is being told something. Mm -hmm. Instead, we want to show it so that the reader understands it. So what do mm -hmm. we do? Um, and so and Jay, everyone here, I mean, I remember the first time I was writing something and I was like, I started acting it out because I needed to figure out what was happening. I knew what I wanted to have happen, but I didn't know how to say it. So what was the physical motion? So if I say, how do I show the captain pretended not to notice? Uh, the captain kicked a rock in the dirt. Um, you know, uh, 
Dana, I would not want to write this. Dana, you know, um, uh, uh, let's see. Yes, and the entourage of the princess, Dana said, he felt his eyes widening and he, and he tried to suppress his grin. The yeah. captain kicked the stone in the dirt, said, oh, you're pretty interested in where she goes, eh? Right? So okay. I want to, because what I want to do is I want the reader to think, I want the reader to feel, and I just want to put the dramatic information on the page so that they can do it. Okay. One way to think about it like this too, Jay, if you wanted, think about it as a scene that you were shooting as a movie, right? You mm. can't, you can't, you can't just, you can't have a narrator come in and tell you what's happening on the screen. Oh, yeah. right here, we're, uh, let's see, the captain's pretending not to notice. What would the actor do? This okay. is the thing for us. The thing for us as writers is that the movie analogy is a good one. We have to control the camera. It, it pans mm -hmm. out, focuses in. So we have to be the cameraman. But we also have to build the set, right? We also have to uh, be the costume designer for everybody. We also have to know the interiority of every actor. Hmm. We have to know the motivation of every character. We have to do every single job. In the movies, they have hundreds of people to do these separate jobs. But when we write, we have to do every job ourselves. Hmm. And it's not like we can just say, oh, well, we don't need that job done. We need the job done. So here you have a narrator talking for the captain. And what we okay. want to do, what we want to do instead is we want to have an actor on the page doing the mm. thing that you're describing. You're the director, but you need the actor. Mm. But, uh, but it's good. I, I love this little scene. You know, I like it. It has, it has to, you know, I, I like, I like this guy being interested in where the princess is and having to deal with this captain to try and find it out. You know, all of that is a lot of fun. And, the, and I feel that they're real characters. I feel that the captain is maybe, you know, the captain is maybe a little bit of a stereotype. So, you know, when you mm -hmm. make the movie, you have, to, you have to worry about that. You don't want stereotypes. Stereotypes don't engage. Stere okay. The reason we don't have stereotypes is because they're not surprising. Stereotypes are not surprising. And we, remember, we need anticipation and surprise. That's why we can't have stereotypes. So we want to do a little bit better than that. But... But still, I have a good sense of them interacting, and I also have a sense of your the fun you're having with these characters. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned here, I feel involved here. Um, so anyway, I think that this is good work. I think the main thing is to get into those details. Yes, handle that mm -hmm. point of handle the point of view and do that hard work. Mm -hmm. You know, the the sure. details are part of it, right? So like when I kick the stone, that's a detail. That's a detail I did not have to do well. Right. If I'm talking about the, the papyrus paper or the palm, the palm leaf paper. OK, so I do research on that by going to the museum, breaking the glass open, taking it and then crumpling it in my hands and listening to it as it hits the ground. And then I listen mm. to the bell you know, as they arrest me. So I do that kind of research. But when I when I have the character, when I have the captain, as you write, when you when you have the captain pretending not to notice, then I do a different kind of research. 
I do the research of what do I do when I pretend not to notice something? Does that make sense? I do. That's also research. I'm trying to think. I do thinking research. I do acting out research. When I pretend, oh, sorry, I hit something. When I pretend not to notice, I go like that. You know, I wrote. I rotate my head in a in a half circle. Uh, drawing the figure of a moon with my nose. I mean, what absurd way am I going to describe that? But this is what I have to do as a writer. And that is also research. No easy path, Jay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Any, any questions? Uh, uh, yeah, I have a question. Uh, especially when we write uh, history fiction, like let's say our story goes back a thousand years or a thousand five hundred years. Uh, how about using modern metaphors, like some like the captain put on a poker face, but poker is something that comes later from the time period of your story. So does that would, fit in? I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. So again, going like okay. So remember, remember we have the reader and we put the point of view into the reader. We're also mm -hmm. taking that reader and putting him into this character into this time. When we say poker face, we take that reader, we yank them out of that time period and we throw them into the modern world. And then we mm. want to put it back in there. So basically that, remember I have boredom and confusion that starts going towards confusion. Are they mm. here or are they here? Are they here or are they here? All right. I, I wouldn't do that anachronistic thing. I, I, um, writing, Writing ancient history is very difficult. It is difficult because we, we don't see it very well. So we have to do the research and we have to be very creative in our research to figure out how we can see it and then how to stay there. Um, I mean, um, you know, was there a different gambling game that they might have played? Dice, perhaps? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah, I get what you mean. You know, we 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 just have to do we have to do that hard work. But yes, I. The also has to be in line with the time frame of the story. I think so. But again, I base everything. I base everything uh, going back to that pesky reader of ours, that pesky human brain being, and the human brain. We don't react that well to being pulled, yanked this way and that way. We hmm. we don't. We, we want to be situated. We want to be contained. We want, we want to not be confused. Confusion mm. is chaos, and we tend not to like chaos. We don't. Mm. So even if we're writing something that's chaotic, we want to write it clearly so that the reader doesn't experience it as chaos. We do mm. not want to go to the emotions of confusion or boredom. We do not. Mm. Both of those mean we lose the reader. Do not do it. Mm. Stay with clarity, you know, contain them, locate them, move them clearly from place to place if you're doing it. You know, um, if I were doing it, if I needed to have the poker face, you know, I would mm -hmm. then have, I would actually, I would be in character point of view. And then I might have a narrative mm -hmm. point of view. I might say the captain looked, uh, looked at him. If we were evaluating, I would go, if we were evaluating the captain today, we'd say he had a poker face. But at the time, they had no game like poker. 
they played dice and they played it seriously. The loser mm. die. And the, and the captain had a face like that, that he might mm. die, reveal the single thing, right? I would do that kind of thing. There's always a way to do it, but do we want to do it that way? What is the best way to do okay. it? That's always a question. All right, friends, I think I better go. Any, any last questions? We, we bludgeoned, we bludgeoned the hell out of these two pieces today. Um, thank you so much for, no, I, I'm really, I, both of these works are strong. I, I, I was, you know, when I was thinking about these pieces before we met, I was thinking about how strong they are and how they both have given us the ability to talk at this higher level about our work. Both of these pieces Ashvani's piece got a conflict on the page with characters. That is the base. Um, we, that's such a strong base to now build a really effective story. I am not trying to tell you that any of this is easy. When I say to Ashvani that, you know, if he does the work on this story, I think he can publish it. This story is a long way from being published, but it lets you know a little bit how good it has to be and how deep and evocative it has to be to actually get published and get a reader. Being a writer is a great job. I'm going to tell you, everybody would do it if it, were, if it were easy. Everybody would. It's a great job. No bosses. You get to live in your own world, right? And make up stuff. It's great. It's very, very difficult. We have to do the legwork. I think it's, I really think it's true for those of us who are really called to writing. It isn't the easiest thing that we could do. It is the hardest thing we could possibly do. And for some reason, we're still compelled to do it. I don't know why we're, you know, gluttons for punishment, right? But both of these works are great. They have characters on the page. I feel that those characters are becoming realized um, it's a, it's a wonderful start. So I, I really enjoyed the reading this week. Thank you, Otis. And thank you, everyone. We will, as always, put this uh, session up on YouTube in a couple of days and uh, share the link out. So please keep sending the pieces in and we will talk to you same time in one week from now. Thank you, Otis. Thank you, everyone. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Otis. Thank you very much. Otis. Bye.